Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. NPR began a national conversation today that focuses on the state of mind of the American voter. Research suggests a growing anxiety about fundamental things, security, economic prospects, and identity. In particular, the shrinking middle class, the threat of terrorism, and changing demographics. Smart Talk is participating in the NPR project today by asking you, our listeners, about the issues that are most important to you during this presidential election, especially in the areas of the economy, security, and changing demographics, and that includes immigration. A few of the comments may be forwarded to NPR for broadcast nationally. Calls now, because we expect to get a lot of phone calls today, and we want a lot of phone calls today, 1-800-729-7532, or you can send an email to smarttalk at witf.org to comment. What issues are you most concerned about or are anxious about? We're talking about national issues. Now, NPR's Mara Eliasson got uh, this project underway this morning with uh, uh, some background. I want to replay that for you now, and uh, we'll get right into it and then start taking your phone calls. You can't talk to voters this year without hearing some pretty powerful emotions, and all the candidates are trying to show they get it. For Republicans like Marco Rubio, it's President Obama's fault. And a president that on 10 occasions around the world has apologized for America. Apologized. And this is why people are so frustrated. This is why they're so angry. That's why this election's played out so differently. On the Democratic side, Bernie Sanders' angry tirades have found a receptive audience. This campaign is sending a message to the billionaire class. Yes, we have the guts to take you on. Hillary Clinton has talked herself hoarse, explaining that she takes seriously the fears and insecurities of ordinary voters. They're worried that they're going to be left behind while the people on the top, the guys who always get ahead, keep taking, 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 leaving very little for anybody else. There's a lot of worry. And no one has identified with or stoked voters' anger better than Donald Trump. I will gladly accept the mantle of anger. Our military is a disaster. Our health care is a horror show. Obamacare, we're going to repeal it and replace it. We have no borders. Our vets are being treated horribly. Illegal immigration is beyond belief. There are lots of good reasons voters are so ticked off this year. Number one, says former White House aide Bill Galston, is the absence of the kind of broadly shared economic growth that makes the American dream possible. When you consider the fact that... Uh, Household incomes are still thousands of dollars below where they were at the end of the Clinton administration. People have gone a long time without making a lot of progress, and they know it. They're feeling it, and they're not very happy about it. Another big factor is terrorism. Whether or not you think ISIS poses an existential threat to the United States, after San Bernardino, there was no question that the war on terror has come back home, and that's scary. Then there's demographic change, says Harvard political scientist Daniel Allen, who points out that 2014 was the first year the majority of American kindergartners were minorities. So we're only a dozen years away from majority-minority voting cohorts entering into our voting ranks. So in other words, in some parts of the country in particular, there's just a sort of incredibly durable tradition of white political and social control. And that demographic transition is forcing to a head the question of what happens now. 
This is why immigration has become such a flashpoint, particularly in the Republican primaries. Professor Roberto Suro is an immigration expert at the University of Southern California. One of the most illustrative things that has happened this year was in the way that Donald Trump switched from Mexicans to Muslims almost instantaneously. It was a simple pivot after San Bernardino. Terrorism and labor migration became one thing. And what that tells you is that it's it's not specific immigrants. It's not even necessarily immigration itself. But this becomes the vehicle to touch people's anxieties about a whole bunch of other matters. This year, immigration became all wrapped up in people's anxieties about jobs, terrorism, and the failure of government to perform basic functions, like policing the border. Exacerbating all these anxiety-producing factors is a gridlock political system that can't seem to solve big problems no matter which party has control. And here, Republicans are angry at their own party's leaders in Washington in a way Democrats just aren't, says conservative analyst Henry Olson, author of The Four Faces of the Republican Party. And they've been listening to politicians who have been telling them for decades now that government can and ought to shrink quickly. And they think that when Republicans are elected, that that's what Republicans got elected on. So they are angry for things that they've been told they can have, but most people in politics know they really can't. Voters in both parties are angry at elites. But just like everything else this year, Democratic and Republican populists are pointing their pitchforks at two very different targets. Again, Bill Galston. For the Republicans, the anti-elite focus is on government and professional experts of all kinds. And for the Democrats, and especially the more left-leaning Democrats, the focus is on economic and financial elites. And it's not clear, says Galston, which candidates will benefit most from all that angry anti-elitism when voters finally start going to the polls next month. Elections serve a number of very important functions, and one of them is to hold up a mirror to society. We learn something about who we are and what we're feeling and what we want through the electoral process. And a lot of things that are beneath the surface come to the surface during the intensity of electoral combat. And those feelings are defining the 2016 elections. Mara Eliason, NPR News, Washington. And thanks to uh, Mara Eliason for providing that background. But I, I know there are many of you still digging out from the snowstorm this weekend. We have to acknowledge that, that uh, uh, probably the biggest uh, news story of the year in central Pennsylvania and on the East Coast, uh, the snowstorm that hit over the weekend. And it will take a while to dig out. But it's also a good time to turn our attention to other things like the issues that do matter to you. And again, I want to point out that... Uh, some of your comments, we are recording these as we do every show, and some of your comments may be passed on to NPR for broadcast nationally, but uh, we would like to hear from you. This show is uh, just you and me today. Uh, if you'd like to uh, call in, let us know what issues are most important, which issues are most important or make you most anxious. And we're talking mostly about the presidential campaigns. 1-800-729-7532 is the number to call or send us an email at smarttalk at WITF.org. You also can go to WITF's Facebook page and uh, let us know uh, the issues that uh, you find um, that you're most uh, concerned about, most anxious with uh, during this year. Or you can also go to WITF.org. There's a description of today's program. There's a comment section below. You can list uh, 
you know, what the, the issues that uh, you find, uh, I don't want to say most appealing, but the ones that are, uh, make you most anxious uh, during 2016 in the presidential year. And uh, mostly, we're focusing mostly in the areas of economy, security, and changing demographics. A few things that uh, Mara mentioned in her report that I think really stick out to some people, and uh, the, the one in particular, that uh, with changing demographics, that in 2014, for the very first time, there were more immigrant, farm-born, or the children of farm-born uh, people in kindergarten than there are native-born Americans. And that says a lot because you think about that. Think about, uh, oh, 13 years from now when uh, those children, well, it's not even 13 years, but when those children are grown up and are uh, ready to vote for the first time, you're looking at a a changing country. Uh, We also hear a lot about uh, you know, the difference in incomes, the uh, 1% versus the 99%. A few uh, statistics here that, uh, you know, really catch your eye. In 2015, 20% of American adults were in the lowest income tier. That's up from 16% in 1971. Um, the share of income held by middle income households was 43% in 2014. That's down from 62% in 1970. Now, still, incomes for households in this smaller middle class have actually risen up 34% since 1970. That part is really no surprise because uh, incomes have gone up uh, in the last uh, 40 five, 46 years. Maybe not as much as we'd like in the last five to seven years, but uh, since 1970, uh, they have gone up. Uh, let's go. Um, let's see. Let's, we have a lot of phone calls now, so do be patient if you call in 1-800-729-7532. Let's go to Jake in Lebanon. Jake, you're on the air. Hi there. Hi. Good morning, Scott. I really enjoy the conversations you have on your program. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yep, no problem. Um, I was calling in. I'm glad you're still talking about money. Uh, um, these presidential campaigns are able to go out and raise millions of dollars from the individual candidates are, uh, and yet our deficit keeps ballooning. Uh, um, it's sort of fallen out of the spotlight. A few people mention it here and there. Um, I don't know why it's not a bigger focus, and I don't know why... Uh, it has been pointed out before that why isn't that possible, sort of a crowdfunding, if you will, for the deficit uh, to help pay that down. So in in your mind, uh, the amount of money that, uh, number one, is spent on campaigns, that's one thing that you do bring up, uh, but yes. that when we have this, and I, th- I think I saw that the, the deficit went up last week, it's up over uh, $600 billion now, I think, um, that right. some of those people who are contributing millions of dollars to campaigns could help out a little bit more with uh, the federal deficit. Yes, that's correct. That's what I'm saying. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for your call. And campaign finance reform is not one of those things that uh, a lot of people look at and say, oh, yeah, that's a priority or that's a sexy issue. But it is something that, um, especially since the Supreme Court ruling a a few years ago that allowed corporations to, uh, not just corporations, but uh, unions, 
a lot of people uh, and groups, organizations, uh, to contribute as much money as they want because they have First Amendment rights, uh, that that has changed. That's been a game changer. And uh, that is uh, an issue with campaign finance reform that has to come under that umbrella. Uh, Let's see. Who else do we have here? Uh, George in Mechanicsburg. George, you're on the air. Hello, Scott. How are you? I'm doing well. How about you? Wonderful. Thank you. My concern is the elitism as it, as it applies to Hillary and the use of her private server to handle classified information. I'm a formal naval officer. I'm currently a government employee. I have had to fire people for doing much less with regards to the proper handling of classified material than what she has done. And the idea that there's a double standard that exists for her is appalling to me. Well, you know, that's not it's not final yet, because apparently the FBI is investigating, uh, you know, what went through those emails to find out if there was top secret, what classified information there is. But of all the issues, that's the one that uh, that that gets you the most. Yes, because I expect my political leaders to maintain our security and follow the rules that everybody else has to. That she thinks that she's above following the rules. Just the idea that she had a private server to handle class or any government uh, mail is ridiculous, and it is above the pale. So it seems as though one of the things, George, that, uh, I mean, obviously you're addressing uh, Hillary Clinton in particular, but you're addressing also that mistrust of government today. Definitely. If she is an example of the way the government is performing or people at that level are going to perform, then what chance is there for the rest of us? Mm. If they can pick and choose which rules they want to follow, then that is the definition of elitism. All right. Thank you very much for your call. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Welcome to Monday's Smart Talk. A little bit of a different program today. This was planned. This has nothing to do with uh, the snowy weather over the weekend. NPR began a project today creating a national conversation about the the uh, issues that are most important. And really, the way that the NPR has been looking at it is the issues that voters are most anxious about during 2016, during the presidential campaign. Uh, some of the comments that you make today, where you list the issues that... Uh, concern you the most uh, may be forwarded to NPR for broadcast nationally, and that would be great if we could get uh, some WITF callers uh, or listeners uh, on NPR nationally. They're going to do that this Friday. The phone number is 1-800-729-7532, or you can send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. You also can go to WITF.org, see the description of today's program. There's a comment section below. Leave a comment there, or go to WITF's Facebook page to uh, list the issues that uh, you're most anxious about. Again, that phone number is 1-800-729-7532. Let me get to uh, a few emails here. Manuel Carlisle says, my worries are due to the change of the modern workplace. In the past, when technology replaced jobs, new jobs were created that those workers could enter without significant issues or education. Now, as technology replaces jobs and that technology does not create new opportunity, we're seeing a lack of job and employment security. 
This, when coupled with income inequality and issues of Social Security, disability, and poverty, uh, it's time to begin examining the necessity of guaranteed basic income. You know, this is something that has been predicted for a long, long time, that uh, robots, technology would replace jobs. And it's happened all around the country, all around the world. But uh, for the most part, Manuel is right that uh, other jobs were created out of those technology jobs. It's not always happening, and you wonder what the uh, ratio is to jobs being created for those uh, being lost. But we are in a, in a changing economy, a changing workplace. And, uh, you know, something, some of the things that uh, Manuel mentions also, education, uh, that used to be that uh, if you graduated from high school, you could get a manufacturing job pretty easily, Make a decent income. Uh, today, that probably isn't enough. Uh, even if you went to college and graduated uh, 20 years ago and you had to find a job today, you probably would need some retraining. Not always the case, but uh, a lot of times in, in today's economy. Uh, what else do we have here? Um, Sarah from Harrisburg says that uh, started that farm-born kindergartens would be the majority in 2016. That's not correct. Um, I didn't say 2016 that this was in 2014, and she says that's not correct. These children are not illegal aliens. They are children born to non-Caucasian parents. No longer will whites be the majority. Uh, please announce this clarification because your statement implies that more than half the children are illegal. I said nothing about illegal immigrants. I said uh, just that, that these would be uh, the children of uh, foreign-born or uh, that the, the children themselves would be born overseas and then say anything about them being illegal. I'm just pointing out that it was uh, this is something that came from the Pew Research Center. Uh, mentioned nothing about it being illegal. So that's uh, just one of that clarification that uh, I did want to make. Uh, let's see. Let's go to the phone. Marie is in Le- uh, Camp Hill. I'm sorry. Marie, you're on the air. Hello, Marie. Are you there? Folks, be patient because uh, we are getting a lot of phone calls, and uh, we're going to try to get to as many as we can. Let's go to Robin in Lebanon. Robin, you're on the air. Yes. Thank you for taking my call. Yes. This is a class-divided society. There is a ruling class in the United States made up of billionaires who uh, derive their wealth from the ownership of large amounts of capital. They do not work. They simply own and there is a vast majority of the population that lives by selling their labor power, and they are the ones who are disenfranchised. It is inconceivable to me that a billionaire should be the spokesperson for the great mass of people who have to work for a living. He doesn't work for a living. It is inconceivable to me that anyone would vote for the Democratic or Republican parties, which are the maintainers of this system, a system which oppresses millions and actually oppresses billions worldwide and is now bringing us to the edge of a new depression with massive unemployment, with underemployment uh, sky high in this country, labor participation, the lowest it's been in 50 years. This is an economy that is on the verge of collapse. That is what worries people. Well, let me ask you this. But that, but that doesn't solve the problem. Well, that's, that's, that was my question, the, Robin. What will solve the problem is working people organizing separately from the Democratic and Republican parties. 
organizing unions, organizing along the lines of class, working class versus the billionaire class. So uh, are you uh, you're referring in particular uh, when you're talking about you can't believe that people would follow a, a billionaire, uh, Donald Trump in particular, and on the Democratic side, uh, Hillary Clinton? And Bloomberg and all of these, uh, all of these are very, very wealthy people, and they are wealthy because they are aligned with a ruling class. There is a ruling class in this country. Everyone works on that assumption. Though they're afraid to say it. There's a ruling class, and there's the working class. The ruling class uh, gets its money by owning. The working class sells its labor power. And once you've exhausted your labor power, you're out on the street. You're done. You're done earlier than than ever. Uh, they're kicking people out of jobs at age 55, age 60. And then they want to raise the retirement age without taxing the rich. They should take the cap off of uh, uh, Social Security earnings uh, and all earnings, all uh, income, including capital gains, should be taxed. And that would solve the problem of Social Security forever. Hey, Robin, thank you very much for your call. Probably a lot of people agree with that, but uh, you wonder what the alternative is. Uh, There are a lot of people who feel that uh, they would like to see someone in power other than a Democrat or Republican, but that system is so firmly entrenched that uh, you wonder whether it could happen. Of course, Bernie Sanders is a uh, senator from uh, Vermont running for president. Now, he's running as a Democrat, but he was elected as an independent. Um, don't know whether that could happen on a national uh, a national scale as far as uh, president goes. I mean, it's been a long time. You think back to uh, the early 1900s, uh, I believe it was 1912, Woodrow Wilson uh, uh, Theodore Roosevelt ran again on uh, the, the Bull Moose, was part of the Bull Moose Party. And, uh, you know, it, it was difficult then. And what happens often, Ross Perot in 92 ends up splitting uh, splitting votes. Uh, again, if this is something that uh, you're concerned about, the issues you're concerned about, we'd like to hear from you. 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. WITF's election coverage is supported by the Harrisburg office of the law firm of Saul Ewing, LLP. Let's go to the phone. Gary um, is in Juniata County. Gary, you're on the air. Let's go. Okay, there you go. Gary, can you hear me? There you go. Can you hear me? Yep, I hear you. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, You really opened Pandora's box today. (laughs) Um, You know, that gentleman had a a point. There is nothing to me. You see a bumper sticker once in a while and say, there's nothing so repugnant as a rich person trying to act poor. Um, You know, people today are venting their frustrations, but there's nobody out there with what what I would consider to be reasonable ideas or programs. You read their policy statements, whatever, but when you start using uh, terms like in the Middle East, we're going to carpet bomb our way out of this, or uh, people about the income disparity. Yes, it's there, and we understand it, but I don't hear anybody with a reasonable idea of how to fix it. Just taxing the rich isn't going to fix anything. The political money, everybody's upset about it, but what what are the odds? And I guess the biggest one is that people are frustrated is political gridlock. I think they understand that whoever gets elected, 
the other side is going to dig their heels in to the point that, you know, when it's six months and, and they finally pass a funding for, everybody agreed, bridges and roads needed to be repaired, and it took them almost a year to get that passed, and they all agreed they wanted it, but they couldn't do it because the left won't support the right, the right won't support the middle, the middle won't give an inch. I mean, it's just, it's so very frustrating, and I don't think people really see any ideas, <clears throat> excuse me, any ideas out there um, to get us out of this. Just oh. saying something's broken doesn't fix it. Going back in time and saying we shouldn't have aided Middle East doesn't fix it. We have to go forward, and unfortunately, you know, I don't see the ideas. I don't see the, you know, the John Kennedys, the, the you know, the whatever coming in saying, hey, we want to put a man on the moon, let's do it. We want to fix this problem, let's do it. Not just talk about it. Thank you very much. Gary, I think you covered wide, uh, a wide array of, of issues there, and I think you're right on. Thank you very much. 1-800-729-7532 is the number to call if you have an issue that uh, you are most concerned with, most anxious about, find most important. We have an email from Jim. says, my top three issues in order, gerrymandering, gerrymandering, and gerrymandering. One of the biggest problems we face in politics today is politicians who cannot or will not compromise because... They are worried if they do, they will be primaried by someone more extreme to the right or left. This is mostly caused by gerrymandering. Most of the legislative and congressional districts are drawn, so there are easy wins for Republicans and Democrats. Those of us with moderate views are effectively shut out of the process. To fix this problem, we need to take the drawing of a political districts out of the political process. Some states, like California, have nonpartisan commissions draw them. There's a Pennsylvania legislator who is proposing, proposing something similar that State Senator John Wozniak, and uh, I'm trying to get uh, Senator Wozniak on the program to talk about that. The League of Women Voters and Common Cause Pennsylvania are working on this. All moderates of both parties and independents should get behind this proposal. Uh, we have another email from Tracy in Harrisburg. It says, climate change. This touches every class. No one can es escape its potential disastrous effects. What is each candidate's position in climate change? Well, I think you can see that uh, most of the Republican candidates... Uh, in fact, maybe even all of them. I don't even know if they admit that it exists. And, uh, you know, so that's uh, that's something that uh, we'd have to take a look at as 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 well. Let's see. We have uh, Maria in Camp Hill. Maria, you're on the air. Hello, Maria. OK, I don't know. Folks, when we get a lot of calls like this, uh, you have to be patient because it will take some time uh, for me to get to your line. Let's see. Laura is in Mifflinburg. Laura, you're on the air. Oh, good morning, Scott. Good morning. Thank you for taking the call. Yes, welcome. I don't think you hear from our neck of the woods very often. I'd like to hear from you more. <laughs> well, let me tell you, um, when I look at the presidential campaign, because I've been unemployed off and on since 2008, I have a lot of time on my hands out in a very rural area of Union County, and my concern is with security. They, uh, the military in a probably a tri-state area is using our residential rural setting as an enemy combat practice area, and we have a lot of problems out here with oh, probably five branches of military. Uh, coming over our rural area, about every 10 minutes with low-flying drones, um, show force, large combat jets, about three different kinds of planes are being 
clocked here seven days a week, 24-7, in a 10-minute interval over U.S. citizens' homes. Now, when I look at the security discussions with the presidential campaigns, what I would hope for is that the federal government and the people who are interviewing for presidency would consider not using the common citizen as an enemy practice area or selecting out uh, portions of the United States for abusive practices with the military conglomerate uh, joining and collaborating. I think that the big issues for security with regards to upcoming presidencies would be to yield an abuse of military, you know, so-called covert operations. I think that that because they're over our residential areas and are engaging non-involved U.S. citizens through the the outcome, I would hope that people who are interviewing for president, Democrat or Republican, would take the time to interface with the federal government and understand what protecting us in the name of security really means when it comes to the military engagement. There seems to be a disenfranchising of the various um, leadership into the federal government to the military in the name of using, you know, really protecting us from an enemy. When, in fact, if you live like I live in our area, we're being identified as an enemy. We're being used as a practice for combat procedures. We're experiencing drone tagging out here, apparently. And the worst of all cases, we have a show of force here uh, several days a week over our home. Well, really what you're talking about is privacy. And that goes back to uh, terrorism and are we secure? I think that the issue that you bring up, now you're talking about some specifics in the area in which you live, but what you're to- also talking about, the bigger issue, is how much are uh, Americans willing to, to give up? How much privacy are Americans willing to give up in the name of being safe from terrorists? That is exactly correct. And in fact, it's, it's a good summary that you're giving back to me, because what this has this started, Scott, in 2014. Of July, exactly in 2014, this region, it's a five-county or six-county area uh, from Williamsport to Bloomsburg and everything south uh, as they come out of Dover Air Force Base on the bigger bigger uh, planes involved. But it's the Army, the Navy, the National Guard, the Marines, the Air Force, pretty much all branches collaborating. But the problem is that this kind of collaboration exactly leads to a lack of privacy. I bought a house on a rural setting, thousands of acres, because I wanted to have uh, an instrument studio, a yoga place, a place where people could come and experience the woods and nature. And it has completely uprooted any possibility. When you have 10 minutes, every 10-minute interval of overlying planes overlapped from helicopters to small uh, Air Force jets, to the larger bombers, and then we have the drones now on another uh, quarter. Hey, Laura, I, I, I'm going to have to move on, but I, okay. I understand what the, the issue you brought up is a good one. Thank you very much for your call. Um, we have an email here from Leanne in Landisville who says, My anxiety is created by the candidates that are calling for sending immigrants home and halting the immigration process for specific groups. This sounds so much like Nazi Germany in the 30s and 40s. That scares me. Too many of the German population just went along with the rhetoric, not seeing the bigger picture. 
and uh, it sounds like we are leaning toward a similar path if we embrace this rhetoric. Anger directed at a changing world is fruitless. Change is the only constant. Change allows us to open our minds to new and often interesting ideas, possibilities, and people. How boring a world would be if we only knew people exactly like we are. Now, understand that... Uh, Immigration, and especially when you hear about, uh, uh, you know, what happened in San Bernardino or that uh, there are crimes being committed by Syrian refugees, that uh, that makes people anxious. But one thing that uh, I was reading this morning, doing a lot of research on the background of, of this uh, pro- for this program, that many people don't realize, and especially if you would listen to candidates like Donald Trump, uh, who you know, kind of got everyone's attention this summer when he announced his candidacy by railing against uh, illegal immigration and immigration is that they're actually, when you're talking about illegal immigrants in this country, there actually are about a million less than there were in 2008. That right now we are seeing many, there are more Mexicans leaving the United States than coming into the United States. Um, as this report pointed out, is that, uh, you know, the candidates like uh, Trump would lead people to believe that uh, the borders are just open and people are crossing all the time. There are people crossing often, but there also is more security at the borders, the southern border of the United States, than ever before. So not as many people are crossing into the United States. It is highlighted. It is part of the news when it does happen with the children, like uh, a year ago or so. But right now, or actually since 2008, more Mexicans have gone back to Mexico than have come into the United States. Reasons being, the United States, the American economy, wasn't so great where the Mexican economy was improving somewhat after 2008. Now, probably not right at 2008, but uh, there aren't the jobs that even for uh, immigrants that uh, may have been there in 2008. So that's just something to keep in uh, mind when you're looking at the at the immigration uh, uh, debate as well. All right, let's take some more phone calls in just a moment. 1-800-729-7532 or send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. You're listening to Smart Talk at WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Welcome back to Smart Talk. It's a special Smart Talk. If you're just tuning in, NPR began a national conversation this week asking American voters about the issues that make them most anxious during 2016 or are the most important to them. And we're going to do that today. We're participating in this project here on Smart Talk, and we may forward some of uh, your phone calls, some of uh, uh, your ideas uh, to NPR for broadcast nationally on Friday. 1-800-729-7532 or send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. You also can leave a question or comment on WITF.org or on WITF's Facebook page. Again, that phone number is 1-800-729-7532. Let's go to Phyllis in Lancaster. Phyllis, you're on the air. Thank you for taking my call, Yes, you're um, I think the very word um, anxious and anxiety suggests that this is concern, perhaps, that is not based on um, facts or knowledge, but rather it is a reactionary emotional response. You just quoted the correct (laughs) uh, statistics about immigration. So my major concern is the response 
um, that people are having, the approval they seem to be giving to the Trumps, the Palins, the Cruises. So rather than, I mean, it is our responsibility as citizens, as people who um, help wherever we can to show compassion to all people. And this time, because of its complexity, calls for our most compassionate thoughts, our brightest, keenest imagination. It does not call for the kind of name-calling that we're so many people and so many of your people who spoke are engaging in. It is simplistic generalizations that just make us feel better. The attack on elitism is particularly troublesome to me because it's not in any way based on knowledge or fact or reality. Look at the number of billionaires who have joined Warren Buffett and Bill Gates, and they meet in an official capacity and have been for quite a few years at a billionaire's conference where they decide and encourage each other and exchange ideas about solving the major problems of our world for all people, not just Americans, all people. So that's troubles me, and it troubles me very much. Actually. All right, Phyllis, okay, thank, you for, you. thank you very much for your contribution. All right, let's go to, let's see, we have Brenda is on the line in Cadoris. Brenda, you're on the air. Thank you. You're welcome. Basic to many worldwide dangerous problems is that world numbers of people have doubled twice in just my lifetime, from about 2 billion to 4 billion to almost 8 billion and going strong. It is urgent that knowledge and means of birth control be easily available to all people worldwide. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. You know, she has hit on an issue that uh, a lot of people would say is the whole reason that that we have many of the problems that we do, not here in the, only here in the United States, but around the world. And that is that uh, the world is getting bigger. Uh, think about the China and India's populations. United States population, our birth rate, I mean, we continue to grow, but uh, we don't grow at uh, quite the rate as uh, the, the Chinas and the Ind- Indias, which have become real um, real players, if you will, uh, when it comes to uh, the economy. Let's go to Conrad in Lancaster. Conrad, you're on the air. Thank you, Scott, for taking my call. Yes, you're welcome. I listen to your show all the time. It's very well done. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, my my comment is that I am I'm very concerned that we we as the electorate are not paying close enough attention to divide and rule politics. What I mean by that is on both sides, Democrat and Republican, there are certain dog whistle issues which these elite politicians have figured out how to use to get us all worked up. So that we don't pay attention to other issues, that we that we focus on these so-called dog whistle issues, and we wind up not paying close enough attention so that uh, legislation is passed that is harmful to us, the electorate. And I agree with Bernie Sanders in that I think 
higher education ought to be free to all. Because what we do is those, those politicians, those rich elites, they benefit from an ignorant electorate. And by ignorant, I don't mean stupid. I mean an electorate that very often is not, is not educated enough to know how to interpret or how to, how to, uh, how to analyze um, the issues that are not just important to them, but are important to, to, the, to the entire United States. And we've had, we've had 43, 44 consecutive male presidents. 43 of them have been white men. Um, yet yet we, when, when a woman raises her head and raises her hand and says, hey, I'd love to be president, however, we've had a system that has kept men in power. You know, we use terms like uh, she's using the gender card, as though, as though there's really no issue here. She's just bringing that up because she's a woman. And the same for, for people of color. There's never been a Latin American president. We, we, we have the first openly biracial president, and that's a good thing. However, however, the dog whistle issues continue. The electorate continues to get uh, to not pay close enough attention to divide and rule. Because we're divided, they get to continually rule us, and our pays get lower and lower and lower and lower. The gap between the rich and the poor continues to get wider, and we continue to vote for dog whistle issues. Conrad, thank you very much for your call. I wanted to clarify something. We had a couple of emails here, and I want to make sure that we're straight on this. Uh, I said earlier about uh, the, the kindergartners in 2014. Now, I want to refer back to uh, what was in Mara Eliasson's report uh, where she quoted a Harvard political scientist, uh, Danielle, Danielle Allen. Um, it was the first year the majority of American kindergartners were minorities. Okay, so I did misspeak. Uh, I didn't say anything about illegal immigrants. I think I said immigrants. Uh, so we're talking about minorities, meaning non-white. Uh, the f- 2014 was the first year that uh, the non-white kindergartners made up the majority. So wanted to clarify that, and uh, thank you for those who uh, wrote in and uh, did question that, because we always seek to be uh, accurate here on the program. So thank you very much. Let's go to Janet in Mechanicsburg. Janet, you're on the air. Good morning, Scott. Good morning. I am going to give you just a quick background. I'm 64. I come from a Navy family with a lifetime father, four brothers, all in the military. I remember being very aware of the conflict between the Soviet Union and the West, the free West, and the terrible fear that filled my whole youth and how happy I was when detente finally happened. Now, in the last 30 years, I've watched as people have decided to use the same kind of fear-mongering and um, what they used to call disinformation to mislead entire populations of a nation to become so frightened that the only thing they can think about is, is conquering or destroying their enemy. And I'm watching this happen in America again. Donald Trump is just, you know, the head of the class in being able to conger up fear in people. So many of your callers have alluded to the same thing this morning, and I'm very proud of Americans in general for not being full of hate and fear. 
I'm watching a country that's using techniques. Oh, I forgot to mention my degree is in journalism and communications, and I'm watching people use these techniques with such astounding skill to fill this country with so much fear and a feeling of isolation from each other. But now every poll I read is, you know, 46% against 47%. My whole country that I love and have lived all over this country, I love all the different kinds of people that live here, including the non-whites. Janet, thank you very much. You stated it very well. Thank you for your call. Uh, In fact, Linda, and Janet's right, Linda is another uh, listener who uh, had something to say along those lines. Uh, she's in New Providence, and she says, A very troubling issue for me is the general slide into incivility, evidence in much of our current political process. This incivility, in my opinion, fuels most, if not all, of our other difficulties. The incivility in speech of public figures foments, foments more incivility in the populace, who becomes more and more receptive to more of the same in public figures. And incivility tends to make us, um, let me find my spot here. I only have a little bit of a, 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 a space on the monitor here, so it, uh, it's kind of hard to follow sometimes. Makes us less concerned about the welfare of others, increases fear and suspicion of those who are different from us, increases radicalism in both politics and religion, feeding into the goals of terrorism, exasperates a self-focus that increases greed, that drives wealth, inequality, and tends to solidify the obstructionism in our political process that needs to attend to other critical concerns like universal health care, global climate change, and all the rest. It undermines the cooperation so essential to the success of a democracy. That is one of the themes that we are hearing today is uh, the current state of our politics in this country. And many people are bringing up not just Washington, but also uh, Harrisburg as well. And we're going to do much the same on tomorrow's program. Uh, Mary Wilson, WITF's Capitol Bureau Chief, will be on with us tomorrow along with Terry or uh, Dr. Terry Madonna from Franklin Marshall College talking about the issues, the state issues that are most uh, concerning uh, for you out there. All right, let's go back to the phone now. Mike is in Elizabethtown. Mike, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. Happy snow day. <laughs> I, I, is today officially a snow day? Because uh, I, 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 I don't I know. I thought so. Saturday was. Yeah, yeah, probably not. Yeah. It looks like it, though. Yeah. So my, my comment is, uh, in my family and friends of my family have done well for themselves here in central Pennsylvania. Either they own businesses or, you know, they, they perform jobs that make them a, a good income. But they're not millionaires. And they all love Donald Trump. And, and I question the reason why, and, the, and they respond with, well, we relate to him. And I'm saying Donald Trump is a multi-billionaire. You may have a million dollars. Donald Trump is going to step over you when you lay on the sidewalk in New York City. He's not even going to look at you. I said, I don't know how you think you relate to him. And that, you know, is it our culture where we put reality stars so high up, you know, could Kim Kardashian have said, oh, by the way, I'm going to run for president, and because she's so popular, she'd be, you know, first in the polls for the Republican you know, candidacy. I don't get it. But, again, 
people who aspire to relate to Donald Trump, they need a reality check. There you go. Thank you very much for your call, Mike. Let's go to Susan in Willow Street. Susan, you're on the air. Uh, Good morning. Good morning. Um, My concerns are many, but I think part of our problem is um, fiscal responsibility and the lack thereof. Um, In both parties, I listen to what their plans are with Donald Trump uh, unrealistically wanting to build this giant wall, which would I can't even imagine how much that would cost. On the other side, you've got Bernie Sanders, who wants to implement implement a lot of programs that sound really wonderful, but he doesn't really always tell you how he plans to pay for them. And unfortunately, I think we've become a society where we think that government should be responsible for caring for cradle to grave, when, in fact, I think we have lost this whole idea of, you know, loving your neighbor, which I know is a biblical principle, and not a lot of people agree with that, but that can be found in other religions around the world, not just in Christianity. And I think of the story uh, that Charles Dickens wrote about a Christmas carol, and Scrooge is approached by two men who want to have him make a contribution around Christmas time, and basically his response to them is, aren't there workhouses? Aren't there poorhouses? Don't my taxes pay for them? So just the idea that the government is, is always needing to be responsible for people when, in fact, people are needing to be responsible for people. And the whole idea that we just spend and spend and not even uh, consider that we have to live within our means, like I do, running a household, uh, if I borrow against um, credit, that does negatively impact my household. Um, I don't have uh, disposable income to do other things other than just pay debt. And I think that's a real problem area that we've gotten into, and we kind of don't really talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I think if we got our fiscal health in order, I think a lot of other things would fall into order. All right. Thank you very much for your call. We are almost out of time. I want to thank everyone who participated today. And what I would encourage you to do if you didn't get your phone call on on the air today is follow up with an email, smarttalk at WITF.org, or go to WITF.org and leave a comment uh, under the description of uh, today's program. One more email here. Brenda in Elizabethtown says, priorities concerning what we as a nation spend or not spend our money on, infrastructure in the USA, specifically for those neighborhoods that have been neglected time and time again. And she points out the example of what's happening in Flint, Michigan. So uh, those uh, priorities that uh, uh, Brenda talks about uh, are our spending priorities in this country. That's uh, the biggest issue to her. Again, what we will do, listen to NPR all week, as I know most of you do anyway, uh, but uh, we will continue this project across the country. You'll get to hear from voters, and we will submit uh, a few of uh, your comments today to NPR, and um, we may hear them Friday uh, on the national broadcast as well. So, again, thank you very much for participating today. It was nice to get away from talking about snow all the time. We are going to do something similar tomorrow on state issues. As I mentioned, Dr. Terry Madonna from Franklin and Marshall, Mary Wilson, WITF's Capitol Bureau Chief, will be talking about what's going on in the state and priorities there as well.